You are listening to a replay of Cowboy State Politics Live from December 15th. And there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another stupendous installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. From high above all other puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the very shiny silver cowboy state politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. You are listening to the number one political program in the state of Wyoming. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to this December 15th episode of Cowboy State Politics Live. If you'll notice, the sound is a little bit different this morning. That's because I always get a little nostalgic around this time of year. I remember long ago listening to radio greats such as Paul Harvey and Rush Limbaugh always get sentimental around this time of year. You heard Christmas music played on their program, and it just it just got you in the mood. And, you know, so being that I do what I do, I just can't help myself. So we're doing this program all old school, as old school as you can get on a podcast, but we've done away with the dumpster fire of technology that happened last week. Thank God. Man, was it just me, or was that like a train wreck that exploded and the only thing we were left was to be able to pick up the pieces? Well, anyway, I was looking around the internet yesterday, and I came across uh, one of my favorite Paul Harvey shticks. Here it is. Author Philip Van Doren Stern got the idea one winter morning in 1938 while he was shaving. He was shaving, and the entire story came to him, beginning to end, right there in front of the bathroom mirror. But Philip would not write the story down until a year later, and he would not try to sell the story until four more years had passed, and even then nobody would buy it. He tried to interest magazines in publishing it. He was turned down by everything from the Saturday Evening Post to the local farm journals. Finally, a movie studio bought the story, which the author had entitled The Greatest Gift. RKO Radio Pictures purchased the property at the suggestion of Cary Grant, by the way. Cary Grant thought the hero might be a suitable role for himself someday. And yet, try as they might, RKO screenwriters simply could not adapt the story to a movie-worthy script. So more years passed. RKO sold The Greatest Gift to another movie maker who had just organized a new company called Liberty Films. 
That producer-director's name, by the way, was Frank Capra. And under his loving guidance, Philip Stern's little Christmas story did grow into one of the most moving and heartwarming tales ever told. And each Christmas time, televiewers thrilled to the retelling of an all-American yarn which Frank Capra retitled, It's a Wonderful Life. But this is the rest of the story. The motion picture, It's a Wonderful Life, is about a man named George Bailey on the brink of suicide, granted a unique opportunity to see what the world would have been like had he never been born. It's a Wonderful Life has become a classic, consistently listed by critics among the 10 greatest movies ever made, but it did not become an American cultural phenomenon until the mid-1970s, and there's a reason for that, aside from its intrinsic greatness. For you see, when It's a Wonderful Life first appeared in theater, December 1946, it received mixed reviews. It barely broke even at the box office, received not one Academy Award. Its less than spectacular reception was a tremendous disappointment to Frank Capra. It was so generally ignored over the following three decades that in 1974, when its copyright came up for renewal, somebody in the studio office forgot or didn't bother to go to the trouble of renewing the copyright, and that's how one of the ten greatest motion pictures of all times slipped inobtrusively into what's called the public domain. And that's why America's undisputed favorite holiday movie became just that, because television stations can air it for free. And so they air it often, exposing it to millions. Experts guesstimate that the owners, had they held on to the copyright, It's a Wonderful Life would be earning them conservatively $26 million a year. In addition to the more than 1,200 radio and television stations airing it at least twice each year, there are 15 video companies selling the classic on cassette. They're cranking out copies for what amounts to the wholesale cost of blank tape. That's right. To paraphrase its original title, maybe that is the greatest gift of all, that we all get rich every Christmas time in lots of ways because we get to see and re-see and re-see It's a Wonderful Life. Just because somebody, maybe some bumbling guardian angel, failed to renew the copyright. By the way, had that whoever it was back there bothered to renew the copyright, it would have cost his employers a renewal fee of only f of only four dollars. Merry Christmas. And now you know the rest of the story. How could you go wrong with Paul Harvey? For me, this time of year, I always get nostalgic about, you know, maybe maybe when me and my sister were growing up and the magic of Christmas and um, the time we spent with our family. And so it is with history that we're going to begin this morning. And we start with an article from Business Insider published yesterday, uh, the title being, and I quote, Congress passes bill removing capital bust of racist SCOTUS justice. And I quote, the House of Representatives voted on th Thursday to remove the bust of former Chief Justice Roger Taney, best known for ruling that black Americans couldn't be U.S. citizens from outside the old Supreme Court chamber in the Capitol. The bust of Taney is expected to be replaced with a bust of former Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, the, court's, the high court's first black justice. Both the House and the Senate passed a bill by a voice vote, signaling no opposition from any lawmaker, and now heads to President Joe Biden's desk for his signature. Taney wrote the majority opinion in the terrible and disastrous Supreme Court, <laughs> those were my words, uh, Supreme Court's infamous Dred Scott decision, which held that black Americans could not be citizens. 
The text of the bill states that Taney's bust is unsuitable for the honor of display to the many visitors to the Capitol due to his authorship of the opinion. A previous version of the bill, which was broader, also called for the removal of other Confederate statues in the Capitol, passed the House in July of 2020 with 113 Republican votes in opposition. So you might ask yourself, why would Republicans vote against removing a racist from the Capitol? Well, it all boils down to history, my friends. The history of America is that we've done, we have done some very, very bad things, but we've also done some very, very good things. And the true history of the United States is that we always rectify our mistakes. Now, it may take us some time, but we do rectify them. Now, this business of removing history just because it's bad doesn't erase it. It doesn't... Um, it doesn't magically prevent the events of the past from ever happening. Quite the reverse. It buries them underneath. A couple of stories for you, if you will. Does it make any sense to you that Paul, Re Paul Revere rode by himself that night? Does it make any sense that the as brilliant as our founders were, that they would only send one guy? Well, no, of course it doesn't. They wouldn't be able to write the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and only send one guy to alert everyone in Boston that the British were coming. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, that's because it's not the truth. They didn't just send one guy. Another man was chosen named Wentworth Cheswell. Now, Wentworth Cheswell was a pillar of his community. He was a judge for over 40 years. He built a library in his hometown. He was a school teacher. He was a very upstanding member of, of the community. And the reason you don't know about him, or at least one of them, is that Revere rode north to Boston to tell John Adams and Thomas Jefferson that the British were on the way. And Wentworth Cheswell rode east. Well, the British didn't go east. They went north. Probably the other reason why you don't know who Wentworth Cheswell is, is he was black. Think about that. One of, the, one of the most important nights in American history, the one that most school children, probably all school children know about, is a lie. He wasn't by himself. He was with Wentworth Cheswell. Now, the question is, why was Mr. Cheswell erased from the history books? Well, it didn't happen until very recently. Many of our school history books only give you a brief glimpse into uh, black founding fathers in the United States, of which there were many, many. Let me give you another one. Have you ever, know, have you ever looked at an aerial photograph of Washington, D.C.? It looks like a wagon wheel, and it was designed that way. You see, George Washington was a surveyor when he was very, very young, and he remained friends with a guy named Benjamin Banneker. Now, Benjamin Banneker was uh, brilliant. When he was young, he, uh, he noticed that the town he lived in did not have a clock in their town square. And so he borrowed a pocket watch from some you know, more, uh, uh, more affluent member of his community, and he drew out what was inside the pocket watch. And then he built a clock out of wood, a giant clock. That clock remained accurate to the minute for 100 years. He was a brilliant man, Mr. Benjamin Banneker. In fact, many people thought that he may even be smarter than the great Benjamin Franklin. And so when plans came about to come up with our nation's capital, George Washington tapped his old friend, the surveyor, Benjamin Banneker. 
and he designed the layout for Washington, D.C. Now, you may or you may not know about Mr. Benjamin Banneker, but he, too, was black. Now, the history books that you see in schools, if it is if it is true that they still use history books, perhaps only give you a brief account of who Mr. Benjamin Banneker is or was. The question is why? Well, you know, the his history is often written by the victors, and we have to agree that, you know, many there were many, many people, including Mr. Taney, who didn't want to acknowledge the contributions of African-Americans to our nation's history. But the truth is, my friends, there were many of them, many of them. And just to ask yourself, if we knew about all of these people in our nation's history and their contributions to the country that we now so, care, so dearly love, would it change our perception of you know, uh, um, the, the race relations in the country? I argue that it would. That if we knew of all of these contributions, that you know one one group of Americans was not subjugated for their entire existence, that they did provide a, a valuable, a, indeed, an invaluable contradiction or <laughs> contribution to our country, it would very much change our perception of history, would it not? Absolutely, it would. And so, when we're talking about removing Confederate statues, uh, we have to be very careful. First, that if we remove the history that our, that our country did go through, it makes it much more difficult to educate those people that come after us. Just like the two names of Wentworth Cheswell and Benjamin Banneker, school children won't know about them. And thus, they will be led to believe that an entire race of people was, has been subjugated for their entire lives in this country. And that's just not true. So when we look at articles such as removing the, the bust of Justice Taney from the Capitol, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to the racists that are still in our country? Now, one of the more revered senators in our nation's history is Senator Robert Byrd from West Virginia. Now, many of you have probably never been to West Virginia, or if you have, you tried to get out of there as fast as you could. But I lived in that area of the country for the better part of 10 years. And I can tell you, everywhere you travel in West Virginia, it's Robert Byrd this, Robert Robert Byrd Highway that, Robert Byrd Parkway, Robert Byrd Building. I mean, th the guy's name is all over the place. And yet, he was one of the chief recruiters for the Ku Klux Klan. Now, who was one of his good buddies in the United States Senate? Well, that's none other than President Joe Biden. I don't see anybody clamoring to remove Joe Biden's picture from anywhere. He's the president of the United States, after all. I don't see anybody criticizing him for his long-standing relationship with the very racist senator, who, by the way, was one of the chief people that tried to pull all of the teeth out of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And he was one of the, one of the people that prevented a previous Civil Rights Act from being passed. It is equally important that we remember those people, and so that we understand them for who they are and who they were. If we, if we forget history, we forget the triumphs that we've had over some of the bad things that we've done in our, in our nation's history. It's incredibly important. Moving on to the cow pie from Ray Peterson, former state Senator Ray Peterson. He's very concerned about civility in the Wyoming legislature. 
kind of reminds you of another group, doesn't it? You know, maybe the frontier Republicans. Yeah, most of these folks don't have any policy arguments that'll work. So they have to go back on this whole, we need to be more civil to each other. But it's only one group of people that they're demanding civility from. So Mr. Ray Peterson wrote an op-ed in the cow pie that was published this morning, and I quote, we certainly understood how important it was to maintain the decorum of our group as we addressed serious and difficult issues that were brought before us. But most of all, we understood that not one of us was more important than the other. Maintaining civility was critical in the debate. Respecting the process and the institution of the legislature was essential. Skip a lines. It seems that those days are behind us in the Wyoming State Legislature. As they prepare for a grueling 40-day session beginning January 1st, I wonder if we can get those lessons and practices of civility back. It seems that those days are behind us in the Wyoming Legislature as they prepare for a grueling... Oh, I just read that. I'm hopeful that they can't. As the work they have is too important to ignore by squandering the time with fighting, backstabbing, one-upsmanship getting even, showing off, playing to the crowd, crushing the enemies, push, punishing the dissenters, disrespecting leaders, and so on. We're desperate for strong but calm leadership. We need more statesmanship and less grandstanders. We need problem solvers, not egotistical wannabes. Now, I wonder who it is that Mr. Ray Peterson is referring to. Could it be that he's referring to all of his former colleagues in the Wyoming Republican establishment? Oh, certainly not. He has to be referring to conservatives. And why do they do that? Because conservatives insist on calling a spade a spade. We insist on b placing blame where it belongs. And if someone is getting out of line, well, we insist that they be held to account. And that, my friends, is something that the, that the Redcoats in the Wyoming establishment never want to happen. And what about this civility business? Well, we hear them always clamoring for it, and you wonder if they, if they believe the same thing about themselves. Anybody remember this? I just think it's really difficult and, and kind of murkies the bill, even if the intent is good. Beep. Beep. That was We've on the- We've got uh, somebody online needs to turn off their, uh, thank you. Shut up, Redcoat Eric Barlow. Well, that, my friends, was on the floor of the Wyoming legislature. And the person you heard swearing was two former two-time Speaker of the House, Redcoat Steve Harshman. He said that in, in reference to Chuck Gray's calling for a recorded vote, something that happens all the time in the Wyoming legislature. But because the Redcoats don't like to have what they do on the record, that was Steve Harshman's response. And what was done to Steve Harshman for his breach of decorum? They took away his computer privileges. I'm not kidding, my friends. That is exactly what they did. They prevented him from participating remotely in the legislature, so he couldn't get on Zoom anymore. And they made him apologize in the, in the well of the house. Oh, but you never hear people like Ray Peterson refer to Steve Harshman's antics. You never hear about anybody con or uh, anybody going after Lloyd Larson for saying the word damn on the floor when the in, in the exact same session, Chip Nyman was forced to apologize for using the word crap. 
It's a double standard, my friends, and the reason why they go after conservatives is it's the only answer that they got. And speaking of civility, let's talk about Representative Albert Somers, the new incoming Speaker of the House. Now, they're talking about debate and decorum and civility. But guess how many legislator, conservative legislators that Redcoat Albert Somers put on uh, as a chair of a committee? Zero. Guess how many committees have a conservative majority on it? Zero. Guess how many conservatives are on the most powerful committee in the Wyoming State Legislature? Appropriations. Zero. Now, I thought they were all interested in debate and decorum, but it would seem that they're only interested in one point of view. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't even believe in civility. And yet, they're in the, in the news talking about it. When we come back from the break, there's a new article, well, an article published yesterday in the Cow Pie attacking Secretary of State Carl Allred. And we'll get to it after the break. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden and you really have no idea what type of pudding you had for lunch, well, I really can't help you with that. But if you go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, you can pull up an article that will explain why you shouldn't be president, as if any of us ever had any doubt about that. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And then every Thursday at 10 a.m., Cowboy State Politics Live. You know, the program you're listening to right now. I cover mostly national issues on the Thursday program. You know, the stuff that we don't get to at other t other points during the week. You can find the link to the live program at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. So check out all the Cowboy State Politics episodes every single week. And now, back to the program. From the cow pie, Wyoming Secretary of State defends email asking GOP members for lawsuit money because not from official email. Lovely title, Leo Trotsky. He writes yesterday, and I quote, During his nearly three months in office, Interim Secretary of State Carl Allred hasn't been shy about remaining involved in state politics. On Wednesday morning, Allred sent an email message out to the Wyoming Republican Party Central Committee members asking for money to support the Uinta County Republican Party in a legal fight with the Wyoming Supreme Court. A, a Mountain View man is appealing a lawsuit he filed claiming certain Uinta County GOP party officials should not have been involved to vote in the county party's 2021 leadership election. Leo Trotsky, my friend. Who is this Mountain View man? 
Well, it's none other than Representative-elect John Conrad. Oh, this, my friends, is what's called burying the lead. That's leading you to believe that it's just some sort of random guy that sued the Uinta County Republican Party. And it's not anybody of any importance. Now, Trotsky doesn't tell you who John Conrad is until three-fourths of the way through the article, at which point most people have probably stopped reading. The article continues. The message was sent from Allred's personal or private email at 7.24 a.m. Wednesday. Allred said the request for money was done as a private person, not in his capacity as Secretary of State. The email was sent from my personal email on my personal laptop from home, Allred explained to the Cowboy State Daily on Wednesday afternoon. It was not done from the office or on my work computer. My personal laptop never comes to the office. The email did not interfere, uh, did not reference my job in any way, and it is a stretch to say that my personal life has anything to do with my job as they are separate. End quote. What we have here is a giant nothing burger. Secretary of State Carl Allred has will only have been in office roughly three months by the time Chuck, Chuck Gray takes office. And so, with a short-term job and short-term things going on, does it make much sense for Secretary of State Carl Allred to give up everything that he has done in his private life prior to being selected as a Secretary of State for three months? No, it doesn't. Secondly, it has nothing to do with his job. Not one thing. Not a bit. Not a centimeter. Not even a scintilla of anything to do with his job as a Secretary of State. My question is, who leaked the email? And as you go on in the article, there was yet another one leaked. And I quote, oh, wait, we have to get back to, let's see here. Ah, here we go. Uh, quote, when Washakie County Republican Party Chairman Tammy, Tammy Young inquired where she could send a donation to, Allred responded during business hours from his private email Wednesday, saying the donations could be mailed to a post office box in Evanston and made out to Allred litigation. All right. So that one was done during business hours. But I, I'm telling you, knowing, knowing Secretary Allred, he did it from his phone. Who wouldn't do that, including Leo Trotsky, Wolfson? All of us would. This is much ado about nothing. Now, in the section where Leo uh, Trotsky Wolfson unveils who John Conrad actually is, it says, and I quote, John Conrad, the Mountain View man who originally filed the lawsuit, argued that certain Uinta County GOP party officials should not have been allowed to vote in the county party's 2021 leadership election because those officials lost their representative precinct uh, committee elections in 2020. Skip a paragraph. Conrad, a Republican, was elected to House District 19, blah, 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 blah. But what Trotsky doesn't tell you is all of the things that John Conrad has done leading up to the lawsuit. Oh, he appealed to the Secretary of State's office and they told him no. In fact, the first thing they did is they referred it back to the county attorney. The county attorney refused to file a case because nothing had been done wrong. Everybody followed the bylaws. And then Conrad, and I may have the order of events screwed up a little bit, but it doesn't really matter because it just, it all goes to show you who John Conrad actually is. But anyway, he then appealed to the attorney general. The attorney general said no, and then he took it to court. The court tossed it out, and then he appealed it to the United States Supreme Court. So who, Trotsky Wolfson, is wasting whose time? Is it a current representative-elect, or is it is it Secretary of State Carl Allred? 
who is wasting the government's time. More to the point, who is wasting more of our money? That would be Representative Elect Carl, excuse me, Representative Elect John Conrad. Huh. Good work there, Trotsky. Keep burying the lead. Now, in our next story, we're going to talk about a little energy problem they're having in Germany. Uh, it's one that we're about to have. Before we get there, though, I've got a, a fun piece of audio for you uh, that was published in Russia Today. And it's a, it's an idiot uh, talking head talking to an actual scientist. I played this before on the program, but it's absolutely hilarious. So we'll play that, we'll take a break, and then we'll get to this energy disaster in Germany. Russia's deadly wildfires, the smog-filled cities and poor harvest are being seen by some environmentalists as signs of climate change. Let's now cross live to London to discuss this with Piers Corbyn. He's an astrophysicist Hello. and also founder of Weather Action. Uh, good to have you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live there in London. So what we are seeing here Thank is a much. drastic change in climate, aren't we? Well, climate has always been changing, uh, but this has nothing to do with man. In fact, we <laughs> predicted that there would be extreme heat in uh, East Europe and Russia this uh, summer. And uh, it's caused by a certain circulation pattern. CO2 does not cause circulation patterns. What causes those is combination of solar activity and uh, the state of the, the phases of the moon. Hang on, Piers, uh, wait, wait fact, excuse me, just a minute. You say this isn't caused by man. How come they're reporting this heat wave is recognized as the worst in the thousand years of recorded history in well, Russia? Well, and surely well, of course, man has got something to do with this, hasn't he? Of course he does, he no, has to. Nothing to do with it. The only, the only connection is man is here at the same time as the sun and the moon are doing things. <laughs> um, you see, a very similar situation happened about 132 years ago, where there was the same sun earth lunar magnetic states and there was uh, heat waves in russia and there were also floods in pakistan as now and in the previous few years there was also uh, floods in the english summer uh, also 132 years ago so these things are dictated by solar activity in the moon. They're nothing to do with mankind and those who say that are just trying to make money. Out but, of but, but, but are we not going to see this? Like. Are we not going to see this again next year, the year on? I mean, it's only well, it's quite recent. That that's have... a very interesting question. These things do come in bursts and we're working on that very question, those forecasts. We did say there would be a series of wet summers in England, for example, uh, which we had. Now, will there be a series of these very hot hot summers in, in Russia, we don't know. We have to work on that. But I assure you, it's nothing to do with carbon dioxide. And if you stop stop driving around Moscow, it won't affect next summer one job. Well, how come then so many climate change scientists uh, disagree with you <laughs> and they get so much support well, for what the, they say? They're on a gravy train, for heaven's sake. They're mate. <laughs> I love it. I love it when the talking heads get put in their place. Let's take a quick profit timeout. This segment of the program is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a roping arena or maybe a giant warehouse, 
Well, then you need to call my friends, Nick and Jesse, at Morton Buildings, 307-674-2532. These guys are the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. You've probably seen a lot of their work as you've been traveling the highways and byways of Wyoming and not even known it because their work stands the test of time. So it doesn't really matter what type of building you're interested in. Give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. I just looked out the window, and it is a snowy, cold winter wonderland. And I really just don't want to go outside. Well, part of the reason is my feet get cold faster than any other part of my on my body. And once my feet are cold, well, then it's all day long I'm trying to warm up. I recently found socks from the Buffalo Wool Company. And I'm telling you, my friends, these are the warmest socks that I think that I've ever worn. A couple of weeks ago, I was up on a mountain hunting and I had my Buffalo Wool Company socks on and I never even put on my snow boots all weekend long. I just wore my tennis shoes. I mean, I'm telling you, these are awesome. So if you're like me and you have trouble keeping your feet warm, maybe you should try out some socks from the Buffalo Wool Company. Go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com and keep those little tootsies of yours warm. And now back to the program. You know, one of the reasons why I choose the sponsors that I do is that they have the same values that I do. And I think it's really important that we that we patronize businesses that uh, that, you know, we agree with their 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 fundamental beliefs. And so all the all the sponsors you hear on Cowboy State Politics, um, you know, they're not I don't just choose them just so I can I can turn a dime and pay for the program. Nope, they're choosing. They're chosen on on purpose, and there are some sponsors that I've said no to, um, simply because I just don't agree with what they do. And the sponsors you hear on Cowboy State Politics, um, they're good people. Um, they they really care about this state. Even the Buffalo Wool Company that is uh, based out of Texas, they do a lot of business in the state of Wyoming. And the first time I talked to the guy, uh, it was actually a crazy conversation because we we do know the same people. They've even done a lot of business with the wool mill here in Buffalo. Um, New Trend Hats, they're based out of Kemmerer. Um, they actually have the patent for that cool little hat that's got the ponytail hole in it. Uh, Morton Buildings. Morton Buildings, they're not based in Wyoming either, but they do a ton of business here in Wyoming. Uh, 307 Cowboy Country, um, the Winget Food Truck, all of the sponsors of Cowboy State Politics, Gunrunner Auctions, uh, can't leave those guys out. So all of the sponsors that you hear me advertise on the program, um, it's it's because they do support our great state. It's important that we do that. Back to the cow pie. Now, this is an interesting article written by Kevin Keogh, the title of which is Energy Export Expert. Report that renewables are going to overtake the world is improbable. Now, we all know this. I mean, this whole climate obsession is more of a religion than it is any has anything to do with science. I mean, you know what a religion is, right? It's faith in something that can be proven in the physical world. You know, if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in 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 his divinity in in the Trinity. You know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and much of the things that we believe. Well, you can't 
a lot of them can't be proven. That's what faith is for. And this climate obsession is no different. They claim that scientists agree the world's going to explode in 12 years or whatever, but it's not, it's not the truth at all. I mean, there's nothing to support their theories. Front to the article, and I quote, Now, the, the International Energy Agency released its Renewables 2022 report this month, with, which blames the global energy crisis on the invasion of Ukraine. It also declares high energy costs to be a great opportunity for growth in renewable energy on the assumption that greater amounts of intermittent wind and solar will increase energy supply and bring down costs. The report forecasts that in the next five years, wind and solar will grow as much as they did in the last 20 years. Well, maybe that's true, but they really didn't grow that much in the last 20 years. The article continues. The report lays out a five-year outlook with rosy predictions of a future of extreme solar and wind energy growth, which, uh, along with some non-intermittent sources such as hydropower, biofuels, geothermal, and concentrated solar power, which is a facility that reflects sunlight to a central point to generate heat. That's the whole magnifying glass thing that you, when you hold it up to the sun, you can burn leaves and stuff. In that five-year period, the report expects renewables to account for more than 90% of the global electrical generation capacity expansion. Huh. But what the report says and what's reported in the media are two entirely different things, my friends. The Washington Post covered the report with a headline, Renewables to Overtake Coal as World's Top Energy Source by 2025. My friends, that's only in three years. Who in their right mind believes that, especially when there are countries in Europe that are freezing to death, which we'll cover here in just a second. The Post is equating electrical generation with energy use. Electricity is only about 20% of the world's energy use. The, the vast bulk is industrial heating, which comes almost entirely from coking coal and natural gas, and transportation of which wind and solar provide a, a barely measurable amount. There's a great article, and I, I should have printed this one out, but there was a great article a few months ago where a guy took a trip from Denver all the way north into Wyoming, and it took him something like 12 or 14 hours to get to Casper because he had to continually stop and recharge his, his electric vehicle. It's a fascinating read. Um, and a guy that you know, uh, Rep Representative-elect Ken Pendergraft, has a great story about it, how a, uh, a Tesla followed him over Highway 14. And he was following Ken's pickup and Ken gets to the top of the mountain and he notices the Tesla isn't behind him anymore. And he said it was like, it feel, felt like it was like 10 or 15 minutes. And finally the Tesla comes up the hill. And uh, when they stopped, um, his relative that was driving the electric vehicle said that the car slowed to about 20 miles an hour going up the mountain. Back to the article. What makes it unlikely is that the cost of wind turbines and solar panels is rising, is rapidly increasing. Wind turbine orders in Europe fell 36% in the third quarter of 2022 over the previous year. Quote, in a world of more exp expensive machines at higher interest rates, developers are canceling big projects. There's something going on, a disconnect if you like. Either you have to build fewer wind turbines and solar arrays or build fewer appliances in your homes. We're going to have to make choices. That kind of world is emerging. Well, and the reason that kind of world is emerging is idiots are trying to switch everything to renewable energy. One of those idiots is Germany. 
Now, if you want to know what's going to happen in our country if we continue to pursue this renewable energy fiasco, just look at what's happening in, in your, one of Europe's largest countries. In 2019, they passed this huge climate law. Quote, uh, and this is from Clean Energy Wire. And the subtitle of this publication is Journalism for the Energy Transition. They're reporting on this 2019 law that Germany passed that says that they're going to be completely carbon neutral by 2030. Quote, three months after the coalition of Chancellor Angela Merkel's conservative CDU-CSU alliance and the Social Democratic Party, who would have thought they were involved, agreed to introduce it as part, and they're talking about this law, uh, part of an extensive climate package. The climate package is that Germany spent over $400 billion in three years building out this clean energy thing that they're doing. Quote, following the ruling, the necessary legal changes to speed up the country's bid for climate neutrality aiming to hit the goal of five years, uh, the goal five years earlier in 2045, the cabinet approved a reform of the climate law that also includes stepping up the 23 target for emission cuts to 65 per, to 65% from 55% tougher emission budgets in all sectors, and new annual reduction targets for the 2030s. So what the Germans have done is gone on a campaign to literally dismantle their nuclear power stations, to shut down coal-fired power plants. Sound familiar? And they're moving to entirely renewable energy, or what they're calling renewable energy, the results of which have been disastrous. It's created a, a, a continent-wide energy crisis. From Voice of America News, there's a voice I haven't heard from a while. For a while, uh, Europe turns to firewood during energy crisis, published on October 30th of 2022. And I quote, Europe's energy crisis has forced some people to turn to less costly heating sources such as firewood. But as demand increases, the public is facing rising prices, shortages, and even reports of firewood theft. Foresters are using GPS devices to follow their logs, while others fear the environmental impact of increased air pollution and tree cutting. So instead of solving their problem by firing up some coal power plants, they're, just, they're putting GPS trackers on firewood. There are even reports in Europe of an increase in home, home burglaries. But jewels and gold and silver and money are not the things being stole, stolen. It's wood. People are having to steal in order to get wood to heat their homes. And I quote, The demand for firewood in Europe is not limited to poorer nations like Moldova, Germany, Poland, and the Czech Republic. Republic's state-owned forests are seeing much larger demand for the limited amounts of firewood they sell as part of their sustainable forest programs. The German Forestry Service has reported getting requests for firewood from people who had never sought firewood before. The people seem not to know that the firewood process takes two years. That is how long it takes to fully dry the wood so it will burn wood stoves, said the forestry office in the southeastern uh, state of Hesse. Huh, I wonder why people are burning so much wood. It couldn't be that they can't keep their homes warm, could it? In fact, the new climate law in Germany... <laughs> and this is hilarious. Says that you cannot heat your home above 66 degrees. Whoa, I don't know about you, but 66 degrees means I have to put on a coat. They've done marvelous things like making businesses shut off the heater to entryways and hallways 
and lobbies. Energy officials in Germany suggested that people just put on an extra coat and bundle up. It's going to be a cold winter. Oh boy, will it ever. In Poland, demand for small firewood from state forests increased by 46% through the end of August from a year earlier. Larger firewood demand was up 42%, a spokesman for Poland's state forest said. Small firewood uh, is probably the cheapest heating material in, U- in EU countries. He said theft of firewood is also on the rise. It's because they're renewable energy... Mm, dirty words. <laughs> their renewable energy program is not able to heat homes. In fact, there's some audio I'm going to play for you after the after the final break where the guy's talking about the uh, the firing up of his coal power plant and that that one plant is going to heat 1.3 million homes, just one power plant. But they're so concerned with emissions that they're only going to allow that plant to operate for another one to two years. This is insanity, my friends. Take a listen to this. Germany has vowed to phase out coal this decade, but now thanks to Russia, it's burning more of it. Now, this is an important point because all of all of the public officials in Germany are are um, saying the cause of their energy crisis is the war in Ukraine. Now, remember, just a minute ago, I told you when they signed that climate bill and started to spend half a trillion dollars. That was in 2019. When did the war in Ukraine start? February. So clearly, the war in Ukraine could not be the cause of Germany and Europe's energy problems, though no doubt it's been exacerbated by Vladimir Putin shutting off the pipeline. He did that just because he didn't want to play ball with the rest of Europe. But the point is, is that they won't even admit that it is their own policies that are creating this disaster. So after the break, we're going to go through their energy plan and how it contradicts itself. This segment of the program is brought to you by 307 Cowboy Country. They are Central and Southeastern Wyoming's full line of Montana shed dealers. So if you're looking for just a backyard shed to put all of your summer lawn equipment in, or maybe you need a greenhouse or a garage, you should give my friends Bryce and Melody Reese a call. Their number is 307-441-1815. And right now, they have a Christmas special going on. You can get 15% off every single building that's on their lot, either in Casper or Cheyenne. So it doesn't matter what type of shed you're looking for, give Bryce and Melody a call. Again, their number is 307-441-1815. Montana Shed Center, buildings for life. In case you haven't noticed, it's winter. And the one thing that happens when you go out to shovel all that white stuff off of your porch is your ears get cold. Now, if you're like me, there's nothing worse than having cold ears while you're trying to do just a simple job. New Trend Hats has a wide variety of hats for both men and women. You should really go check them out. NewTrendHats.com. They're a Wyoming-based company in Kemmerer. They actually hold the patent on that cool hat that's got the ponytail hole in the back. So if you need a new hat, go check out NewTrendHats.com. And now, the conclusion to our program.
winter. Living in Wyoming, we're used to it. and We understand what you have to do to stay warm in the winter months. You know, get things like firewood and coal and uh, make sure that you insulate your house. You see, the problem is in Europe, most people are not used to having to do that because they've, they've been relied on natural gas and coal-fired power plants for some time. And now, all of a sudden, in the last three years, Germany has decided to axe the whole, uh, the whole kit and caboodle and do it off the sun and the wind. Eh, interesting. And an article, article entitled, Germany's Energy Crisis Plan Contradicts Itself, published in, on September 20th, 2022. And I quote, all of Germany and most of Europe with it has shifted into power saving mode. Skimping on kilowatts is now a fundamental national interest and further measures go into effect in October. The emergency steps are a reaction to Russia's suspension of all gas deliveries to Europe in early September, as well as the subsequent sky high prices of power and gas. Swearing off the Christmas lighting of the, and I can't even pronounce the name of that town, alone will save Berlin around $600,000. But that's just a tiny fraction of the 1% of the city's total energy uses usage. My friends, this is a warning to all of us not to become energy dependent upon other countries. For a long time, Germany and the and Russia and the Soviet Union have had a pact going on. They kept business and politics separate. Russia would supply the energy and then the politics they'd deal, deal with later. But now they've got a new guy in town, Vladimir Putin, who he just doesn't want to go along with their agreement. And so he shut off the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, thus plunging Germany and Europe in, into an energy crisis. Since I am a fan of not recreating the wheel, um, Glenn Beck did a great, a, a great show on this um, not that long ago. Let's see if I've got it here. There we go. Here it is. Europe is a giant warning sign for the U.S. right now. And that pain that, they, that they're being inflicted on, you know, when, when you spurn energy independence. <laughs> yeah. And you rush into expensive green energy production that doesn't provide all the power you need. It's coming here. Now, that's not just some conservative talking point. No, no. That's from a 2014 scholarly press, uh, I'm sorry, a scholarly Swiss financial advisory firm, uh, they uh, examined the consequences of Germany's green transition plan that was already well underway. They found, surprisingly, Germany's massive effort did not provide net savings to the cons consumers. Huh, weird. <laughs> Instead, it, it, it brought a net increase in cost to consumers and other stakeholders. Now, I want you to hear how they concluded, because this should be plastered on the walls of every U.S. Congress and every state house and in America and over the mouths of every green head. Over the last decade, well-intentioned policymakers in Germany and other European countries have created renewable energy policies that have slowly revealed themselves to be unsustainable, huh? resulting in profound they say, unintended consequences for all industry stakeholders. Accordingly, the United States and other countries should carefully ex assess the lessons learned in Germany with respect to generous subsidy programs and relatively rapid large-scale deployment and integration of renewable energy into the power system. Ah, so we should listen to what happened in Germany and learn from that. We're not going to. That's because we're not we're not even going to let off the gas pedal of this stupid 
idiotic renewable energy push. Instead of tapping Wyoming and America's vast energy supplies, we've decided that we can't do it here. Nope, no, we have to go. We have to go and do business with communist and socialist regime, regimes like Venezuela. Do you really think that Venezuela that there's a lot of uh, oversight in Venezuela with oil well drilling, environmental compliance, things like that? Do you really suppose that happens there? No, it doesn't like it does here. Energy producers in the United States and Wyoming are some of the most responsible companies that you're going to find in the world. And the reason they are is that it costs a heck of a lot more more money to clean up a mess. So energy companies who are smart, they do it right the first time, which is why we should be, you know, we should be, I mean, if the climate is your main goal and taking care of the environment, then you should obviously be producing energy here and not in far off places like Venezuela. Second, second lesson here is don't become reliant on, on countries that don't really like you, you know, like socialist regimes, like, uh, I don't know, Venezuela and Russia. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a good idea, but it's it's the profound contradiction, and it tells you exactly how stupid uh, the people in power think that we all are. So aside from all of this doom and gloom, I rounded up a, one of our Christmas tunes. It's Christmas season, so I think we should probably uh, you know have a little Christmas music. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, he loves you just the same. Santa knows that we're God's children, that makes everything right. Fill your hearts with Christmas cheer, oh Santa Claus comes tonight. Oh, well, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus lane. It'll come around when the chimes ring out, it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all, we just follow the light. Let's give thanks to the Lord above, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Cause Santa Claus comes But in Germany, Santa's not bringing presents. Not at all. He's bringing government subsidies. Yeah. Instead of scaling off of their renewable energy plan, government leaders in Germany have decided to provide subsidies to people to help them pay for uh, their energy bills. They've decided to pay each, each person $300 to help cover their energy costs. Huh. Interestingly enough, there are reports from France where small business owners have had to pay outrageous electricity bills. One of them, and I'll, I'll see if I can find this video because it's hilarious, but uh, well, actually it's kind of tragic, but one coffee shop owner got a two-month electricity bill of 10,000 euros. At the time, 10,000 euros was worth quite a bit more than $10,000 for two months worth of electricity. And so there was... There, solution to all of this is not to back off of their renewable energy goals by 2025. No, they can't do that. That wouldn't, that wouldn't make any sense at all. Their, their solution is to give people $300 checks. France has been doing the same thing. England has ba banned fracking. So you can see the trend of where all this is going, my friends, towards renewable energy. Let me tell you where it's really going. Uh, 
a very, very cold winter. From the article, and I quote, Germany's self-imposed target is to cut cut back gas use by 20%, which is roughly the shortfall caused by Russia's discontinuation of gas supplies amid its war to Ukraine. The author suggest, While the author suggests that Germany will have a problem, quote, have a problem if this winter is a bad one, it must be aware that there already is a problem, a very big one. As wholesale gas prices have shot up four times its price in the last year, with electricity rates rising dramatically too, ordinary Germans and businesses alike are in for a nasty shock when their energy bills arrive this year. Some industries have already scaled back production in anticipation of price increases. Moreover, they've made clear that the stakes are the stakes are high for all of Europe. Ensuring a constant energy supply and bringing down energy prices is imperative to stave off a recession in Germany. Now, have you noticed what what the our administration is saying the main cause of all of this uh, inflation is stuff is? Well, yeah, it's you know it's the war in Ukraine, it's Putin's price hikes. Uh huh has nothing to do with the vast amounts of money that we're printing and spending on clean energy. You know, the Inflation Reduction Act that they've now admitted has nothing to do about reducing inflation. Not one little bit, actually. So the point here, and the reason why I tell you this whole story about Germany, is this is where we're headed, my friends. Unless we convince our legislators and our elected officials to stop any push towards green energy, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to research renewable energy sources. In fact, I think we should. But we shouldn't rely on those sources which are unproven to heat our homes during the winter. I don't know about you, but February gets kind of cold to me. Most of the time, it's 20 below zero. Yeah, scary. Well, that'll about do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again on Saturday. From the, va- from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.